Well, good morning, Edgewood. It's a joy to be here with you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, if you're like a lot of people, there's a lot of anticipation that goes up towards Christmas time. But when that comes to an end, you can kind of get the feeling of the post-Christmas blahs. Pastor Brian did a podcast on that this past week and then also did a Facebook post about it. I don't know if you saw that, but this is something that is very real that people feel. Also, the winter blues that set in kind of post-Christmas. And as you look outside, it's more dark and gloomy and cold. This is an actual thing, seasonal affective disorder, SAD, S-A-D. It's a time when it is, like it is outside, very overcast. We start feeling that in our own bodies. It's a time we don't really see your neighbors a whole lot because you just rush inside because you want to get inside from the cold. And some of you are like, hey, amen, I don't want to talk to my neighbors. But for those of you that do like to talk to your neighbors and wave to them and talk over the fence, you can't even do that because you just want to be inside and perhaps even be in bed under the covers. But also at this time, we're not getting much sunlight. We're not getting that vitamin D. There's a drop in serotonin levels in our brains, and it can affect our mood. So this is a tough time of year, but also with the new year coming, I think we also have a little glimmer of hope in thinking of new beginnings. We think of dreams and goals and uh, resolutions and a fresh start. So here today, with New Year's just around the corner, we need to look forward with great anticipation to all that God has for us in the year of 2024. So our main point for today is this. When you wait for the Lord with great anticipation, he will reward your faith. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Simeon from Luke 2, 25 through 35. This is a great passage. I believe it comes on the heels of Christmas. And I don't know if you've heard this story before. It's just only in the book of Luke. Uh, But we're going to be in this passage today in Luke 2. So let me pray and then we'll jump right in. God, thanks so much for this time together. Thank you for bringing everyone here together today. And Lord, you know what everyone here today is going through, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Lord, perhaps this holiday has been wonderful with time with family and friends and celebrating your birth. But for others, Lord, perhaps it's been difficult. They're missing a loved one or it just wasn't what they expected, perhaps. Lord, I pray that today they can just be here in this moment. They can look forward to everything you have for them in 2024, and as they look back on this past year, hopefully thinking about being thankful and thinking with, with gratitude in their hearts towards you, Lord, I pray that at this time we can just anticipate, Lord, all you have for us coming up. Lord, I pray we can learn from this story today and these different characters. Perhaps we put ourselves in their shoes. Lord, I pray that you would speak today from your word to each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. So in Luke 2, uh, 22, this is a context of this passage here and actually begins with Mary and Joseph and Jesus going into the temple. So if you want to follow along with me here, I'll read. It says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, brought him up to Jerusalem and pre- to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young or two young pigeons. So at this time, Jesus was probably about six weeks old. 
and they were presenting him at the temple, dedicating them, consecrating him at this time. Just kind of like we have dedications here uh, for children who are being dedicated to the Lord by their parents. This is something that was commanded in Exodus 13, 2, and also verse 12. But then also Mary was to go and offer a sacrifice for her purification after Jesus' birth. Now, they could not afford a lamb, so it was acceptable that they bring to a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They didn't have a lot of money, but it says that there in Leviticus 12, 8, that they were able to do that. And then a man comes onto the scene, a man named Simeon, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So let's break down this passage. There's a lot happening, a lot going on. But first off, what we know about Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, according to verse 25. Simeon did what was right and was totally committed to God and his work. As one commentary said, it says this, we seem always to think of this man as old, though there is no evidence apart from his cheerful readiness to die. Attempts to identify him as a priest or an important citizen are without foundation. Apart from the story, we know nothing about him. Simeon was just an ordinary guy with extraordinary faith. Someone perhaps like you or like me, just someone that was a worshiper of God, loved him, but was looking for the coming Christ. But what was the consolation of Israel? What was this? We see this phrase, we may not understand what that means. The consolation of Israel, from which he looked, is another name for the coming of the Messiah. But this was expected to be preceded uh, by a time of great suffering. So he would certainly bring comfort. This Messiah would bring comfort to people at this time. They were going through oppression, right? You think of the Romans uh, oppressing the Jews at that time. And this was nothing new in the life of, of Israel. Think throughout their history. They'd been oppressed by so many different groups. So this was nothing new. But in the midst of this, they had not heard from God in a very long time. No prophet had heard from God 400 years. Nothing was being written anymore. This was a very dark time for them. And so Simeon and like many other Jews at that time, they were looking for the Messiah as a comforter, a comforter. Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is what they wanted. This is what they longed for. But no matter how small that number may be of people, God has a believing people in the worst of places and in the darkest of times. So this Messiah, Jesus, his coming was set in place long ago. We know this from the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And then in Matthew 1, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we have a 700-year-old prophecy. In our context, let's think back 
700 years from 2023. 1323, that's a long time ago. That's the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the medieval times. That was a long time. In their context, after that 700 years, in the midst of that, there's 400 years of silence. No prophet hears from God. Nothing is being written by any of these prophets. Yet, God never leaves himself entirely without a witness, does he? Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, I love how that's phrased, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. So based on all that that we've seen, we know this, that God's timing is perfect. It is so different from ours because he is outside of time, but also has the ultimate perspective, doesn't he? How many times in our lives has God come through at just the right time? Think about that in the lives of those in Scripture. Think about that in your own life. Perhaps there have been times where you've been at the end of your rope. You didn't know what else to pray or do, but God came through in his perfect timing. But we wait. That's what we do as human beings, especially as believers. We do a lot of waiting in this life. We wait, and we're called to patience. Patience is a virtue, isn't it? So we want to talk about waiting for a few minutes here, because this is a big part of our life. So three points on waiting. The first one is this. Who you are or who you are becoming depends on what you are waiting for. If all you are waiting for is the temporal or things in your life to just get better, we'll never be completely satisfied. God created us with this this God-shaped hole in all of our lives and all of our souls, and only he can satisfy that. So we must wait for him alone. We must fix our eyes on the eternal things of God. In verse 25, it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him, upon Simeon, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. How many times does it say the Spirit there? Three different times it says Simeon had the Spirit. Simeon had a special sensitivity to the Spirit. And think about this. This is before the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was upon him which means the scene that was on him continually. In Old Testament times, we read of the Spirit coming on people on perhaps special occasions, but also leaving at times. But a continuing presence is rare. But he was waiting to see Christ before his own death with great anticipation. How many of you here have a, a bucket list? Things you want to do before you die. Yeah, I think we all kind of have those things, whether or not we've written those things down or not. I have things I want to do, places I would like to go. But my dad and I, we were talking about this passage over Christmas. And my dad mentioned this and said, and I think it's a great point, if Simeon had a bucket list, this was the one thing on his bucket list, to see the Messiah before he died. Which brings us to point number two. Those who wait for, uh, sorry, those who wait for the Lord have nothing to fear, not even death itself. So because we have confidence in the promises of God and a boldness to share that with others. Verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple at the same time Simeon was there. He offered a blessing to God and this prayer of thanksgiving. Some believe this was even a song of thanksgiving that he offered. This song of Simeon, the Latin 
for it is nunc dementis, meaning now dismiss. Now you're letting your servant depart, right? That's what it's talking about. But this was preceded by other songs, a song of Mary the Magnificat, Zacharias on Benedictus, and Luke 1. But these different songs that we see, it's amazing to see this. But also, this was a little strange, wasn't it? Parents, what would you do if a strange man took up your child in his arms and started singing and walking away with him? You'd probably freak out a little bit, right? I would. But maybe, perhaps, Mary and Joseph, they saw there was something different about this guy. They knew he was okay. But maybe Mary or Joseph was holding each other back from letting this happen. Who knows? But this is what he's saying. And Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So not only is Simeon acknowledging his imminent death, yet he is at peace. So the true nature of God's salvation is revealed here. It's prophesied that it's going to be for all people. Simeon knew that and understood that. It's going to be a light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. And there was fulfilled prophecy not that long later. The first Gentiles, a year or so later, I would say would be the wise men. The wise men from the east. These were astronomers, astrologers. They were Gentiles from the east that came to find Jesus and Mary and Joseph in that house. Perhaps Jesus was about 18 months old, maybe a toddler at that time. But these were the first representatives of the nations that had come. And so Simeon's prophecy rang true in Luke 2, 32. That brings us to point number three. Waiting on God is always worth it. Waiting on God is always worth it. I want to spend some time here on this one as well because this is a part of life and this is something that many biblical characters went through. So we can go back to the very beginning. Think of Noah way back in the day when it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights, waiting for the ark to rise under the water. They were in the ark for 150 days, waiting for themselves to be able to see land. Think about Abraham waiting 100 years for the promise of Isaac to be born. Jacob worked and waited 14 years for Rachel to pay off his debt to Laban and marrying Rachel. So waiting on a person, that's something that we all do at some point in our lives. I remember waiting on the opportunity to be able to date my wife, Lisa. We've now been married almost 15 years, praise God. But before we started dating, we had just started talking, and she was getting ready to go study abroad in Italy. And this was a tough time because we were deciding, should we start dating now or just wait? So we decided to wait. So there's that waiting for you. So we corresponded over the next couple months, but then an opportunity came to be able to see each other halfway through. I was a Uh, on a missions trip in Eastern Europe, and I was going to have a layover in Frankfurt, Germany, so she flew up from Italy, and we're going to meet each other for the day to be able to see each other. So we waited a long time. We got to know each other really well, long distance, over the phone, over the computer. So we finally saw each other, and we had the best day ever. We walked the streets of Frankfurt at night. It was awesome. By the end of the day, I was like, okay, can we start dating now? Like, I'm ready. Let's do this. She's like, why don't we wait until we're permanently on the same continent? And then we can start dating. Okay, so then we waited a few more months. And then we started dating right when she came back, the day she came back. And then we're a long distance all that summer. So there was lots of waiting involved in that relationship. But God blessed that. Now we have four kids, and it was worth the wait. 
But I understand that. We understand that waiting is part of life, especially for people and relationships as well. But we continue on with these biblical characters. Think of Joseph. He was wrongly accused. He was in prison for two years, but God used that in his life to be able to go up in the ranks to Pharaoh. Moses hid out in Midian and waited for 40 years until, what, the burning bush. And then he went to go free God's people. The children of Israel wandered and waited for 40 years in the desert. Elijah hid in the desert and ran from Ahab and Jezebel for 40 days. Ezekiel, this poor guy, this prophet, at one point God asked him to lay on his side for over a year as an example for Israel. But think about Isaiah. Isaiah, who made this prophecy, the 700-year-old prophecy that we have, he also wrote this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And what of Daniel? Daniel waited overnight in a lion's den to be saved from the lions. Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, waited nine months until he could speak again because of his unbelief. And then we come to Simeon. There was thousands of years of Israel's history, a 700-year-old prophecy, 400 years of silence, and then Jesus, the Messiah, came. But it would still not be 30 more years until Jesus' ministry actually began. So if you see this in the Bible, you see this in your own life, we have to understand this, that waiting is just part of God's plan. So let's go to verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So the prophecy continues now for, for Mary. Great sorrow will be in Mary's future. She will one day be a widow. Joseph will no longer be there. She will see Jesus, her own son, crucified on a cross. And Simeon's final words point to the revelatory function of Jesus' work. He will be met with much opposition during his ministry. It says here, the fall and rising of many, the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We saw this in the, the Pharisees. People had very differing opinions of Jesus. Some people flocked to him and some people were abhorred by him. My question is for us today is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Is he just someone that you worship on Sundays? Someone that say you believe in, but do you have a real and right relationship with him? Other religions do this type of thing. They like to see Jesus as a good teacher, a prophet, or a moral standard to follow. You don't really see that with other religions and their leaders of those religions, We don't really hold any other prophets in high regard from other religions. But Jesus is seen as a good teacher, a prophet, a moral standard in many religions. But here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus, there is no neutral ground. When it comes to Jesus, there is no neutral ground. Because he said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what we have from Jesus here is a very exclusive claim. It's a very exclusive claim. But that invitation is very inclusive, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So it's exclusive of if Jesus is the only way to the Father, 
but that invitation is open for all. But we can't be on the fence with, with Jesus, can we? There's no neutral ground. We know what the Bible says about lukewarm people in Revelation. There will also be people at the end of time in the judgment, people who thought they believed in Jesus, but according to Matthew 7, he will say, depart from me, I never actually knew you. I never actually had a real and right relationship with you. So what will you do with Jesus? But the story didn't end there. The story continues with Anna in Luke 2, 36. And there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So I love in these verses right here, God saw fit that not only a man, but a woman should testify that the Messiah had been born. Now she was an older widow. God has a special place in his heart for widows. We know that again with his own mother that take place. But she stayed at the temple. Anna was at the temple all the time, worshiping, fasting, and praying night and day. She was righteous and devout, just like Simeon. And as Simeon was looking to the Messiah as comforter, she and many others were looking to the Messiah as the redeemer, the forgiver of sins, a savior. We know Jesus, what would his name mean? He will save his people from their sin. So both Simeon and Anna responded to the prompting of God's spirit to open their mouths and to speak. So you see, when you wait for the Lord with great anticipation, he will reward your faith. So what are you anticipating in 2024? What are you waiting for? Perhaps a a relationship to heal, good news from the doctor, a job promotion. These are good things, but they are temporal. Are you waiting on God with expectancy? Not just something from God, but God himself, as Simeon and Anna were. You're waiting for your faith to grow. Have a surrendered faith like Simeon and like Anna's faith. We might want this, but let's be honest. When life happens, our circumstances seem to rule our lives. We experience those after Christmas blues. Anxiety and depression creep in. Fears and unmet expectations take root. You get in a fight with your spouse, you yell at your kids, you get reprimanded at work. And although they often do, life circumstances should not dictate our faith formation. Life circumstances should not dictate our faith formation. So now, no matter what we go through, our faith is firm, it's unwavering. But this is hard, isn't it? Right? Life happens, it comes at us, and then all of a sudden our faith feels wrecked. But the question is, what are we putting our faith in? Are we putting it on Jesus? Are we looking to Jesus as our Messiah, as comforter, and as redeemer? So what are some action steps for us from this passage and looking forward to 2024? Well, this first one I think is good for just all of us, especially those who are younger, but it could be any of you today. Number one is this, spend less time on your phone and more time with God. Spend less time on your phone and more time with God. We all need to hear this, I think. I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about this and talking about 
people who spend a lot of time on social media, it says this, will be more anxious, angry, insecure, vain, shallow, performative, and dishonest. If you get addicted to it and you start looking at things you shouldn't look at, perhaps things like pornography, you will be more lustful, more compulsive, more addictive, and more lonely. So if we spend a lot of time on that, it's going to affect us deeply. But what you think about the most, what you spend your free time doing, what your money goes to, I would say is the most important thing to you. As Pastor Brian says, we become what we behold. So perhaps we need to kill some things in our lives, some sin in our lives, some idols in our lives. We need to combat that sin. But how do we do that? Well, number two is this, grow your faith by practicing spiritual disciplines. And I mean getting serious about these. And some of those would be prayer and fasting. Yes, fasting. This is something that Christians practice for thousands of years and probably until the last 50 or so years, people have kind of stopped doing this. But this is a hard one, especially for us as American Christians, I would say. Because the only thing that we might love more than our freedom here in America is our comfort. And we don't like to be uncomfortable But we're called to this, and it's going to help us to grow in our faith and be more like Jesus. Another way is studying the Word, not just reading it, not just looking at the verse of the day or reading a daily bread, but studying God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs for our daily Bible reading plan in January. And if there's something that's lacking in our world today, it's definitely wisdom and discernment. And so reading the book of Proverbs will help immensely. Another way that we can grow by practicing spiritual disciplines, is this, to gather regularly this year of 2024. And just plan on being here. Not when it's just convenient or when you feel up to it, but plan on being at church unless there's some unforeseen circumstance by which you can't be. But plan on being at church with God's people. But then there's evangelism, there's discipleship, ways to live out our faith in real and tangible ways. That's what we're called to, and that's going to help us to grow when we share that with others, when we teach that to other people. These will sanctify us, help us to grow in order to look more like Christ. So let's look at these in the sense of not maybe resolutions, but goals for our life in 2024, dreams that God has for us and putting these into practice. And number three, wait on the Lord with great anticipation. Wait on the Lord with great anticipation. In Psalms 130, it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. I love that verse, how we are to wait for the Lord. Well, Monday begins a new year. A lot of times when I think of new year, new beginnings, I think of a a new creation. What greater gift would that be than to become a new creation the start of a new year. We have this opportunity to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ here today. Maybe you here today, you're looking towards the Messiah as a comforter because you're going through a lot of hard things. You're not sure what this next year is going to bring. And some of you are thinking, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I need to look toward him as a redeemer, the forgiver of my sins. So would you consider that today? To give your life to him. To realize you're a sinner in need of a savior. And realize this Jesus who came lived a sinless life, the perfect life for us. 
and he died the death we should have died. But he rose again, conquering sin and death and allowing us to be reconciled to the Father. What greater gift could you have than that today? So whether looking toward Jesus as Messiah, as comforter, or as redeemer, we are living between the times of his first and second advent. First came as a baby, and we know he's coming again. We see that in God's word over and over, especially in the book of Revelation. His second coming is imminent. Are we waiting expectantly for that coming? Are we preparing ourselves for his coming? So we want all of you, each and every one of you, to be prepared to know him, to have a relationship with him, and to expect his coming at any moment. So we're going to do, we're going to pray to close out. I'm just going to offer a prayer, though. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, perhaps today you will reach out to him and pray and ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your life and save you so that you can be reconciled to the Father. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this story in Scripture that helps us to see, to understand, to realize that you are the greatest gift. That people throughout history have waited on you to come through. And Lord, your timing is different than our timing. But Lord, we are called to wait. We're called to be patient. Lord, if there's anyone here to... Uh, that this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a real and right relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would ask you to become their Lord and Savior, the forgiver of their sins, Lord, and they can have a, a right relationship with you. And that one day, Lord, when they die, they will be with you in heaven for eternity. Lord, I pray you'd be with those that are struggling this morning. Perhaps this year has been really hard and they're looking with expectancy toward a better year. Lord, for you to show up and to do much in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would help them to be strong in you and your mighty power. Lord, I pray you'd be at work here today in the lives of each and every individual. You know what everyone's thinking. You know what everyone's feeling. You know exactly where they're at, Lord, so they can't hide any of that from you, Lord. So I pray that they would be open and honest with you and perhaps with someone next to them afterwards. Lord, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, we wait expectantly for your second coming. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for coming uh, and gathering with us today. If you have any questions, if you want to know about anything that's going on, if you made a decision today, please come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Dan or one of us uh, in leadership. But Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And we will see you next year.